Exodus 30, verses 1 through 10, these are God's words. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its width. It shall be square. And two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay its top, its sides all round, and its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all round. Two, ring, two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both its sides. You shall place them on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at the twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense, before Yahweh throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to Yahweh. So for the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word, the Lord had taken us through the furniture of the tabernacle, but he hadn't given us uh, at that time the building of the incense altar. And the incense altar, very important thing. It goes in the holy place. It goes right in front of the veil. It's attended to twice a day. But he gives it to us, instead of in the context of the building of all of the other pieces, he gives it to us following upon the heels of the ordination of the priesthood, uh, and especially upon the heels of the twice-daily sacrifices, uh, the sacrificing of the lambs uh, day by day, one in the morning and one at twilight. Uh, and by giving it in the context of the ordination of the priesthood, and especially of the twice-daily sacrifices, uh, he emphasizes the activity that is going to be taking upon, taking place upon the incense altar. Uh, even though it is uh, a, an integral piece of the furniture, even though uh, there's uh, much that we could have said about it being uh, of similar construction to uh, the ark and uh, the table, uh, and then uh, also the bronze altar that is outside with its horns that are of one piece with it, and the horns of uh, the incense altar being in one piece with it, and uh, being covered with gold and so heavenly and having to be carried upon poles, which uh, indicates to some extent how holy it is. And There's much that we could say about that, but we won't focus on all of those things because where the Lord has put it, uh, in how he gives us the construction of the tabernacle and the instructions for the operation of the tabernacle, he emphasizes the priestly activity that takes place at the incense altar, and that is a priestly activity in which at morning and twilight with the offering of the lamb, and at morning and twilight with the tending of the lamps, at morning and twilight he will also, the high priest, will offer the incense that goes up. Uh, and the high priest, of course, wearing the names of the children of Israel uh, on his shoulder uh, and on his chest, 
and offering of incense, which we know from other passages, uh, communicates the commending of our prayers to God with the sweet aroma. And so uh, when Zechariah in Luke 1, uh, 8 to 11, is doing, uh, is taking the turn uh, of the uh, uh, of the incense. Uh, he's not high priest in Luke one. I just realized that, uh, but it was Aaron in our passage. Uh, when Zechariah is taking his turn, it is uh, a time of prayer. It's connected to prayer. Uh, Psalm one forty one, which we'll come back to, uh, leads the psalm, introduces the psalm with the idea of letting our prayer be set before the Lord as incense. And then, of course, the most uh, well-known, perhaps, example of this uh, in Revelation 8 and the prayers of the saints uh, going up uh, like incense. And so we are to understand uh, from Scripture as a whole uh, that the incense is communicating uh, that our prayer does actually go up to God. It does reach Him. Uh, in fact, one of the ways that God communicates that in this passage is by the placement of the incense altar. The prayers of his people uh, are the closest thing uh, to the Holy of Holies from outside uh, the Holy of Holies. He does not put the altar of incense out where uh, the bronze altar is, but brings it uh, all the way in, commands it to be set right in front of the veil, uh, and then he gives us this, as it were, uh, chain of custody. Uh, of where the uh, the thing that is being communicated by this incense goes, the prayers uh, go. You shall put it, verse 6, before the veil, that is before the Ark of the Testimony. Okay, so there's incense altar, and then there's veil, and right behind the veil there's uh, a box called an Ark. Inside the box there's a testimony on the lid of the box, uh, still in verse 6, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony. The mercy seat uh, is the atonement cover with the blood from the Day of Atonement on it, and of one piece with it is the cherubim, uh, which are built into and part of the mercy seat. Uh, and the uh, the climax, of course, verse 6, uh, where I will meet with you. Uh, so the Lord has uh, already said that he would meet with Israel and meet with his people, especially 2942. Uh, this shall be a continual burnt offering through your genera- throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before Yahweh, where I will meet you to speak with you. Uh, and now, uh, not outside at the door of the tabernacle, but right there at the door, as it were, the veil of the Holy of Holies, he meets with us not to speak with us, uh, but to hear us, to consider us, uh, and uh, our condition, and especially our cries, our prayers, uh, and to consider us favorably, pleasurably even, uh, as the indication of a sweet aroma uh, tells us. We often think of ourselves as uh, auditorily and visually stimulated, uh, but the sense of smell is very special. Uh, for me, uh, my earliest memories, and I don't know if this is true for everyone else, but my earliest memories are smells. Uh, and the smell of uh, a good meal cooking, uh, or the familiar comfortable smell uh, of a mommy to her baby, or a husband or, and wife to one another, we are very strongly uh, affected by smell. 
Now, God, of course, doesn't have a nose. He's not affected by anything. He's God. And yet, he takes such pleasure in himself, and he has ordained and planned to take such pleasure in his people by redeeming them by himself, by means of himself in Christ, so that we are united with him. And when we come to God as Christians, we come in union with Jesus, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And how great then is the pleasure of God uh, with, as it were, the smell of his son on him. And perhaps you remember uh, Isaac, who was uh, in his declining years, was so sensorily motivated. Uh, and he has um, Jacob, whom he thinks is Esau, bring him the good food by which he is motivated. But when he comes to bless him, he smells Esau's clothes on Jacob, and it smells like Esau, and he says, Ah, the smell of my son. Uh, so there is something very strong uh, uh, communicated here about how much pleasure God uh, uh, has in his people and has ordained to have in his people uh, by what he has planned and what he does. And this is a great comfort um, to believers because we know uh, that our praying in itself cannot uh, make us commendable to God. In fact, there are many places, uh, Isaiah 1, verses 14 through 15, Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 3, Micah 3, verse 4, Psalm 66, 19, Proverbs 28, verse 9, and others. There are many places where we read about people's prayers being offensive to God. And so how can a sinner come to God if he knows that his sinfulness makes his praying offensive? Well, he can come in the priest, in the sacrifice, in the priest's mediation in behalf of that sacrifice. And so the incense altar and the offering of the incense uh, communicates to us and is intended to communicate to us very strongly that we may know, clinging to Christ, we may know that God is pleased with our prayers on Christ's account instead of offended by our prayers on our account. And he's even designed us with a sense of smell uh, and good smells to affect it uh, so that we might have some sort of, some point of reference uh, to help stir up our dull hearts to enjoy the graciousness of our God and his favor towards us and his pleasure in us and our praying uh, in Christ. And so this is something that is to be embraced continuously, um, which the Lord gives us in our weakness uh, morning and evening. When we do something morning and evening, uh, it is as uh, it is a way of being continuous. This isn't just a Hebrew way of speaking. It is a Hebrew way of speaking, where you take the bookends and you know the first and the last, Alpha and the Omega, at the beginning and the end, uh, morning and evening between. But it's also a reality that we live. That the thing that we do, if we follow God's instructed pattern, whether it's day by day in our home, uh, and beginning the day with Him and ending the day with Him, when we rise up and when we lay down, it's quite explicit in Scripture, um, or whether we're talking about the morning and evening sacrifices that were day by day uh, in uh, the previous passage, 
um, uh, and throughout the life of Israel, or they were talking about uh, evening worship and morning worship. Uh, evening especially being emphasized and uh, as far as uh, New Testament worship services that we see in the first day of the week, uh, we see almost exclusively, maybe exclusively, evening services, but we mustn't think that that somehow precludes that which was looked forward to uh, by the morning and evening pattern in the Old Testament. So uh, let's not have any movements towards the canceling of morning services anytime soon. Let's just have movements for the recovery of and the institution of evening services uh, in, uh, in all of the Lord's churches. But there are three things that we've heard about uh, in fairly short order that happen morning and evening. Uh, one we heard about immediately in the preceding passage, and that is the sacrifice uh, of the Lamb. Uh, of course, in embracing uh, the once-for-all sacrifice of the Lamb of God who is slain from the foundation uh, of the world, our Lord Jesus, uh, and all of our worshiping. Every time we come in a morning, every time we come in an evening, every time we come as a family, every time we come as a congregation, every time you come to him, uh, do not skip to come embracing the atonement of Christ for you, the completion of, uh, of his wiping away your guilt by his blood, the perfection of his righteous obedience in your behalf. That's how you come to God. Uh, and that's a big part of the worship that he wants morning and evening, as indicated to us by the Lamb. Uh, sacrifice that was morning and evening in the previous passage at the end of chapter 29. Uh, a second one, which was the first in the order given in the book of Exodus, is his tending of the lamps. He reminds us uh, of that connection in verse 8, when Aaron lights, um, or when he, sorry, in verse 7 and 8, when he tends the lamps in the morning. And then uh, verse 8, when Aaron lights the lamps uh, at twilight, uh, Aaron uh, literally in verse 7, makes the lamp good in the morning. And in verse 8, causes the lamp to rise uh, in the evening. Uh, it's uh, a little bit more vivid here in his priestly activity. And we remember what the lamp is for. The lamp reminds us that the light of the favor of God shines upon his people. Uh, that it's not so much a candle or a lamp or a that looks like a tree from the Garden of Eden that uh, that shines on the people. But as number six says, may he make his face to shine upon you. Uh, and so when you come to worship God morning and evening, whether in our family or by yourself or congregationally in the Lord's Day, we come not only embracing Christ as uh, through the lambs with a B, uh, but we come knowing the favor of God towards us through the lamps. Uh, with a P. Uh, so we come uh, knowing uh, the favor of God toward us, especially uh, in his uh, speaking to us. When you have that tied, especially as we already said in verse 42 of chapter 29, with Moses speaking, or Yahweh speaking uh, to, to Moses and to the people uh, at the time of the offerings, morning and evening. Uh, but finally, you also come to be heard by God. Not just to, to embrace Christ and have his favor and have the Lord speak to you, but to know that the Lord hears you 
that this is one of the great ways in which he is glorified, as he is such a gracious and generous and compassionate creator, that he has designed a way uh, of worship that communicates that he listens to the voices and the hearts uh, of the children of men and the the sweet incense that goes up. Now the uh, the intercession ministry of uh, of Aaron was uneven. Uh, he couldn't just sit there all day and shovel incense onto the incense altar, then perhaps it even run out. Uh, but he's uh, he's weak um, in his uh, season of humiliation. Not so the Lord Jesus. Now uh, the scriptures tell us that he always lives to intercede for us. Uh, by the power of his indestructible life, he's able to save us to the uttermost. Uh, he now sits on the throne of grace, and uh, the, as you know, Revelation tells us, the prayers of the saints go up continually. Uh, and that word, that idea, uh, also is here in the end of verse 8. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before Yahweh throughout your generations. Well, that which was uh, was prefigured and pictured to us uh, by the priestly ministry then is actually literally done by the Lord Jesus now so that uh, the prayers of the saints can come continually through Christ, his prayer. Uh, remember, he is our high priest. He is not only the Lord who receives prayers from the church, he is the son over the house who leads the prayers of the church. And so he prays for us continually, and the Spirit intercedes for us continually. And as he saves more and more people from all over the world, the amount of prayer that goes up continually from his people on earth increases. And so there's something of that ministry of our Lord Jesus that is pictured to us here. Our Lord has given us then to value prayer much, and to know that he is glorified uh, by our prayer coming up to him and our prayer being pleasing to him uh, for the sake uh, of his son. And so we may join our uh, plea with the psalmist in Psalm 141. Uh, Let my prayer be set before you as incense. Let's pray and ask God to bless this portion of his word to us. Father, we thank you for the perfection of your son and the perfection of your plan in him to take pleasure in us and our praying for his sake. We come knowing that there's nothing in ourselves apart from him that would please you. Uh, And we ask that you would keep our hearts and minds stayed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and that you would encourage and strengthen our hearts with the joy that comes from knowing that you have elected to be chosen, you have to decided, you have decided to be worshipped by making us to embrace Christ, by making us to know your favor, and even by making us to know that you hear our prayers. And so, O oh God, since you are the speaking of God, make us a hearing people. But since you are also the hearing God, make us a praying people who lift up our hearts to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.